Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Bug Eyes Rock Pop Rambles and what a dazzling show I have for you this evening. Got such an exciting co-host. You may have heard her in the background chiming in annoyingly um, <laughs> to other shows. It is the one and only Julia Worms. Hello. Hello. I like the way you did your own woo. Yeah. <laughs> so Julia is not only annoying in the background in episodes, she's not annoying at all. She's my wife and she is a superstar. DJ, I was about to say, but she's not a DJ <laughs> no, not. at all. She's a wonderful graphic designer. Um, she's she's worked on various projects from um, Anton Nolan Trust to the VNA. Um, if you ever went to the uh, so you want a revolution or whatever the hell it's called, you say you say you want a revolution. That's the one. She did the book for that from the VNA. That's fantastic, isn't it? it well, is. I think it yes. is. Yeah. And I could I could Thank talk. On, she's worked on loads of projects, but she's also does all of the design work for my band Bug Eye, and I don't pay her a penny. <laughs> Slave labour. Yeah, slave labour. Well, that's what you, you're my wife. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Julie's been like itching to come on the show. Persuaded and, to come on the show. No, you said, can I come on the show? And I was like, yeah. So we put a date in the calendar um, a while back and it came around very, very quickly. And it was like, what on earth are we going to talk about? To the point that uh, I think I've, I've done I've done a bit of research, obviously, mm-hmm. On, on what I'm going to be discussing. But I think you probably have trumped me on it, seeing on Sunday night you set aside a whole evening to say you're doing your homework. <laughs> so so with that, I suppose I'll explain. If you're new to listening to the show, Rock Pop Rambles is a kind of, um, I was going to say, music history podcast, but that I don't think that does music history researchers... Uh, any kind of justice seeing we do such sketchy research on things it makes it sound very earnest as it well, does doesn't, doesn't it? it it really does i do have my glasses on though you do have your glasses on i feel like i should be wearing a cardigan <laughs> or like a tweed jacket with elbow pads oh there's one of paula's cardigans in the bathroom you can use oh, that oh my god paula from the band right if every time she, she seems to be moving in you just she's got shoes in our garage there's there's a coat here of hers she just leaves her stuff everywhere and i don't know how like, why is this stuff left here? What did or she? When, or when she left? What, exactly. It here. When did she leave? Did she walk out with bare feet and go home? Like, why? <laughs> so she, anyway, so Rock Pop Rambles is a weekly podcast where we come armed each week with some stories from the world of rock pop or any genre really of music, and we discuss things that um, are of interest to us, obviously, but hopefully to you if you're listening, um, and it's kind of not so in depth that it takes us weeks to program the show as i'm sure you'll tell but we also come armed harmed we also come harmed hopefully we're not harmed no no hopefully there's no no one was harmed in the making of this show (laughs) there's no violence on this show until the mics are switched off um which is why there's no one else from bug eye here today they're gone no joking they're not um No, so we do come armed each week with a story from the world of rock and pop, like I said, but we also have a new music discovery that we we think is ace that we think you should know about. So, yeah. And if you've got a story you want us to cover or a band you want us to play, please do drop us an email at rockpoprambles at gmail.com 
or check us out on Twitter at Bug Eye Band or Facebook at Bug Eye Music. I don't is that the right else. way around? That is the right way around, yeah. Don't know so, how you remember. Well, yeah, I've just had this is episode God knows what if it's over half a year now of doing this, so um it's kind of cemented into my brain. Anyway, so my name's Angela and I'm from the band Bug Eye. And as I said, joining me today is my wife, Julia. 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 <laughs> I promise we'll actually talk about something in a minute. Um, okay, so today's show, Julia, what have you got for me? Shall I shall I launch into it? Well, no, I think we'll, we'll tell people what we're going to talk about and then they can decide to go, oh, no, I'm not listening to that and switch off. Or be super excited and jump on Twitter and go, oh, my God, amazing podcast and share it with everyone. Well, today I'm going to talk about Storm Thorgerson and it's that's probably a name you've either heard of massively or not at all, depending if you're on the visual side of things or not. Because um, if you're into your album art, he's a name you should know. Yeah, so I say, I wanted to jump in a bit sooner and go, oh, so you're talking about a wrestler? Because it does sound, his name does sound like he should be like a WWF wrestler, don't you think? It's a very exotic name. Norwegian descent, apparently. It Storm. Yes. Storm. You can just, just imagine the, the outfits, which segues nicely into what I'm going to talk about, talking about outfits and coolness. Seeing that you're doing covers, I thought I would talk about someone who has influenced music. Um, well, of course, I've influenced music in, in a musical sense, but something that's really... Yeah, he has. <laughs> um, I'm going to talk about um, David Bowie's Ziggy Stardust. Ooh. So, uh, yeah... And just, just um, it's a weather theme as well, the storm, and a lightning bolt. But that wasn't the Ziggy Stardust. Oh, years. was it not? No, I, oh. about, I do touch on that. Oh, okay, though. good. Yeah, because I, I wanted to impress you with my um, my knowledge of, of of covers with with that. I feel that like one. it should have been the QI alarm bell going. You're wrong. You're what? wrong. You're wrong. Yeah, mm. I, I can I can chuck that in. <laughs> we'll, quick, we'll edit this bit out and do it again. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, so new music-wise, I'm going to play The Franklies. And I'm going to play Lou Kime. And I don't know who Lou Kime is, so that's... Do me to tell you about her later? Yeah, okay. later. So I don't know, do you, do you want to start or do you want me to start or... I can start. Eat. I don't mind. Yeah. Or you can start. It's, I don't, I don't it. mind. it's your podcast, it's up to you. It's my podcast. I bow down to your infinite wisdom. Oh, I wouldn't say that. I, You know, I often get things wrong, so you can send corrections as well and if you do like the show we've got a patreon page patreon.com slash bug eye so go and go and give us your money it helps support the show if you can if you can't bugger off no joking um just being really rude tonight aren't it's I? not a very kind podcast is it no we often um we're often mean to each other so uh yeah so storm thorgerson um he's an english well he was an english graphic designer and uh, music video director although he was known to call himself a performance artist as well. Um, and sadly, he's no longer with us. He was born in the 40s and died aged 69 in 2013. The end. <laughs> <laughs> now, Sorry, yeah, now, shall I go? Now, if you have heard of him, you'll know he's um, best known for creating iconic and usually very, very surreal album art. And um, he was a long-term collaborator with Pink Floyd, but he also did... Um, 
cover art for numerous other artists from Led Zeppelin, Peter Gabriel, Black Sabbath and Paul McCartney to um, Muse, the Cranberries and uh, Biffy Clyro. Yeah. Um, so lots of lots of famous people. And he didn't do it on a shoestring either. He was known for having huge budgets. Um, so all of us grassroots bands. Yeah, we would have been. Yeah, we would, yeah he would just like. Yeah, don't yeah. think, don't think um, he'd have been would on your radar. Would even spit on us. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Like, well, no, maybe he would. I don't. Maybe he would have. Either way, it's rude, isn't it? Really, spitting. Yes. Very yeah. Rude. Saying I wouldn't even spit on you is rude, and then actually spitting. That on would be even would. more rude. Well, I think they're both really rude. Yes. What's worse? Actually, I think someone's spitting on me, especially now in coronavirus times. Oh, gosh. You don't want that. Sorry, go on. (laughs) Anyway, um, he um, was born in Potter's Bar, um, which I believe was in what was Middlesex. I don't know what it is now. the the, the train crash place? Oh, possibly. Yeah. I don't really know anything else about Potter's Bar. There was a train crash, I think. Possibly Home Counties area. Um, Anyway, he... um, the Pink Floyd link, how he has had a long term had had a long term collaboration with Pink Floyd, was that he actually went to secondary school in Cambridge with uh, the Pink Floyd founders Sid Barrett and Roger Waters, and um, Thorgerson's mum and Waters' mum were really good friends. Oh, I saw the posh kids, isn't it? So but there you go. Well, just because it was Cambridge it doesn't have to be a posh school in Cambridge. It it was a terrible school for naughty children in Cambridge. People that were on housing benefits and, uh, yeah. I couldn't speculate. Mm. Anyway, mm. after his um, secondary school, um, he ended up... Private. Um, <laughs> he ended up um, going to the RCA, which is the Royal College of Art, where he studied film and TV. And then at the tender age of 24, which was in 1968... Um, he formed his first design studio, the famous Hypnosis, um, and he formed it with his graphic designer flatmate, Aubrey Powell. Um, and Hypnosis was very prolific. Um, and it was nominated five times for Grammy Awards. Mm. Um, and that studio went on for about 15 years to the early 80s. And then Thorgerson and Powell together moved on and founded Greenback Films to then go and produce music videos. Okay. And then I suppose that went on for a little bit of time before he then what set up his... I don't know. I didn't get. I didn't go down that avenue. Well, when we put some music on, we'll have, have a little look, look yeah. at what, what videos he's done. Yeah, I, I didn't know he did music videos. So obviously, obviously, I know all about his artwork with covers. Uh, no, uh, no of his work, but yeah. not the music video stuff. Yeah, so, so yeah, yeah, we should um, have a look at that in the music break. Yeah. Um, so his third um, studio he set up in the early 90s was Storm Studios and he set it up with graphic designer Peter Curzon and Peter Curzon is still running Storm Studios to this day. Oh, really? Yes. And so the two of them, uh, Storm Studios was basically those two and then kind of a, a band of freelancers that they sort of yeah. brought together who had complementary disciplines to them um, and they continued creating album art and logos for the music industry. Um so that that was his kind of career, yeah. Um, but yeah, he was a kind of a very flamboyant character. Um, so I suppose that the famous. So would would one of the last things he worked on be 
be Muse, I suppose, or would it be the cranberries with the big eye in the sky? Oh, we can look. Or, or is that that's we, not we, the cranberries? We can, Muse, we can look it? at the dates in this book. Oh, because I'll, I'll move on to the main the main points. I guess <gasps> the main about. points. Yes, the main right, points. Right, so you didn't just want to no, read that, his CV. That, that was just my, my introduction. <laughs> oh, oh, I did wonder. I was like, oh, it's um, no, I don't, I don't want to give him a job. No, no. <laughs> That would have been quite dull if I'd just, just talked about well, that. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Although, you know, <laughs> I'm picking up what I might say next. <laughs> dun, 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 now for the grand piece. <laughs> the grand reveal. <laughs> anyway, I've got um, two encounters with Storm Thorgerson. So my first encounter was with his work, unbeknownst to me, in 1994, when I was age 15. So I'm now showing Angela a CD, which you obviously can't see. Um, and I'm we'll, showing we'll, Angela we'll put, a CV. We'll put a, picture, we'll put a picture on the um, on our social posts when this yes. goes out with this show. Um, and I'm showing Angela the album that's called Division Bell, which was Pink Floyd's 1994 album. And this is one of the first albums I bought. And I think I actually bought it just for the way it looked, because I didn't know Pink Floyd's music at all. Um and I remember when I listened to it, I think I only ever listened to it once at the time when I was 15. And I wasn't very keen on the music. Oh, dear. Um, because I was a, more of a Britpop girl. I liked Blur and Oasis. Um, <laughs> and, you know, with a smattering of Spice Girls, of course. Um, however, I actually put this album on when I was doing my research this week yeah and i listened to it twice and i found so you've listened to it three so times. now i have listened to it three t- times <laughs> and i found it really relaxing really relaxing so i i now might be converted to pink floyd um, through doing this yeah okay well that that's the idea of yeah, the show actually yeah. so, broadening my musical horizons yeah so reading about division bell this week um there are there are actually two versions of this cover so the one i've got there's mm-hmm. um, two giant sculpted heads facing each other. Um, and to shamelessly quote from Wikipedia um, yeah. about how the cover was um, created, um, Thorgerson erected two large metal heads, each the height of a double-decker bus, in a field near Ely. Mm-hmm. Was it Eli? The town near Cambridge. Ely, let's stick with Ely. My friend Luke would be um, shocked if I didn't pronounce it correctly. Anyway... Um, the sculptures were positioned together and photographed in profile and can be seen as two faces talking to each other or as a single third face. And Thorgerson had said mm. the third absent face was a reference to Sid Barrett. And Sid Barrett, of course, which mm-hmm. I'm sure you know already, Angela, yeah. is he is one of the original Pink Floyd yes. members, but he left the music industry in 1972. So obviously he had nothing to do with this album that was in 1994. You see, because you said you, you started talking about Pink Floyd, I always like to, to appear like I know more than I actually do. <laughs> uh, so I do have some facts here. That was oh, going to be one of my facts. Oh, okay. But did you know, right, do, do you talk about... Um, Dark Side of the Moon. No, you don't. Right, that album. Mm-hmm. So, did you know that when that was released, yep. it was the best-selling album in the world, really, for for a good while, and it's um, the third best-selling album ever to this day. And basically, they've shifted so many units of that album. It's believed that one in twelve people have that album. Really, that's that's quite. There's that... there's like. How many people in the world? Seven point something billion? 
and you can you can tell I d- you know I actually did a quiz question about how many people are in the world um in the last episode I think or a couple of episodes back this is the thing I once I have this information it doesn't stay no that kind in... of just goes in one ear out the other yeah I was, it's, it's like the triangle cover it is isn't it yeah yeah the dark side of the movie yeah. so it's a very very iconic cover it's beautiful um, a triangle well a triangular prism should we say with a white beam of light shooting through the triangle and rainbow coming out the other side yeah it's lovely which today it would look very easy to do on a computer but you have to remember it was designed in 1973 yeah so not so easy to do at the time and did you know that there's there's laughter that can be heard on the dark side of the moon tracks and um, speak to me and brain damage mm-hmm. and that um, that came from Peter Watts, and this isn't a fact from from my phone. This is an actual thing that I know. Mm-hmm. And um, he was their road manager mm-hmm. at, the, at the time when they were recording it. So they he uh, why they thought it was a good idea, but they got him to do it anyway. Yeah. And then he died in 1976 of a heroin overdose. I just yeah. think it just feels a bit creepy, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess so. The kind of the laughter and then knowing his yeah. end. But uh, yeah, that's a bit sad. Yeah. Anyway, back back to D- Division <laughs> Bell. Back to that one. So the CD I've got, they have uh, metal sculptures, but mm-hmm. there was a second a second cover for um, the compact cassette release. If you remember those, <gasps> wow, which was an alternate version, which featured two seven point five meter stone sculptures in the same arrangement. If you look between the two heads, I couldn't tell what this is. Ely Cathedral is in the background. Really? Of the photo, yes. Can I have a look? Yeah, have a look. look. Ah. And also, so one, a couple of interesting things, a couple more interesting things about Division Bell was it was named by the writer Douglas Adams. That's, yeah, you beat me to it. That was, <laughs> I was like, she, I bet she doesn't know this. I bet she doesn't know this. And, and, before you steal my facts. <laughs> okay, go on. Um, there was a, a cryptic puzzle around this album, which oh, is known know as the Publius Enigma. Um, and don't forget, this was in the mid-90s, and it was posted on a Pink Floyd fan group on the internet <laughs> in the time where I didn't even know how to use the internet in 1994, I don't think. Um, and it was suggested that there was a riddle hidden somewhere in the album. Um, and it was thought that it was something that was cooked up by the record company for promotional purposes. Um, but nobody, by the looks of it, ever claimed the, their involvement. At the time, members of the band or Thorberson were thought of as possible culprits, but no one really knows, unless you do, and I got that wrong. There's a lot, no, of, there's, so, there's a lot of research out there on this topic. It goes on and on and on. So someone said that there was a cryptic mm. message. Yeah. But everyone else has said, mm, don't know anything no, no, about no, it. No, no, there was a message, but no one's claimed responsibility for the cryptic message. Who did it? But it was almost like a, it was probably a marketing ploy to get people intrigued in the album. Well, yeah. So I, don't, don't sounds... know, I don't know why, though, because, I mean, it was something like their 14th studio album. But wasn't, but wasn't there, like, a few things, you know, obviously hidden tracks on albums mm. and... And things like that were quite a, a, a cool thing to do in the 90s that you let the CD play yeah. for like an hour after the final track and then someone farts or, or something. Some, some eerie laughs yeah. again. <laughs> but anyway, the, the word enigma, I think, was um, projected in the sky at one of Pink Floyd's concerts um, to sort of um, add fuel 
to the the story around. Well, it totally was. If they did that, it's totally marketing. But they didn't. But they didn't say who you know who started it because who had actually posted the first thing on the internet. There's kind of like a marketing messages. intern, <laughs> possibly quite possibly. Anyway, there's a lot of research out there, and I'm yeah. sure um, there's people out there listening to this that know a lot more about this than I do because I'd never heard of it before Sunday. But <laughs> all these intriguing things came up um, just by. Um, Picking this CD off my shelf that I hadn't picked off my shelf since I was 15. It's our shelf now. Yes. Um, so that was my first encounter with um, Storm Thorgerson, his work. My second encounter with Storm Thorgerson was with the man himself, which was 13 years later in 2007, when I was now the tender age of 28. And then was this on a dating app? No. <laughs> oh, that would have been a good story, wouldn't it? His profile picture was like dark side of the moon so now you've said that this won't be anywhere near as exciting as what people are hoping <laughs> what do you what do you think he would have picked as his profile picture if he was on a dating app out what? of the albums oh no i don't think he would have picked an album i think he'd have gone as himself but maybe do, you, do you think there's a nice picture in this book which i'll get onto this book in a minute that i've referred to already um of him his um portrait of him from behind which I'm sure we could um, also um, show through your promotion of this podcast as well. I don't think you'd get many people um, responding to him on that. So, you know. But that doesn't make sense, does it? That picture. Clever. No, it doesn't. No, because well, no, we, 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 when we post on social, we'll put um, pictures of all of this. I just need to remember. Yeah, talking about the visual side of music doesn't quite work, does it? <laughs> <laughs> when I forget to actually describe what I'm looking at. I'm looking at a picture of Storm Thorgerson and he's got his back to the camera and he's looking in a mirror, but you can't actually see his reflection. You can just see his back again. Wow. So it's surreal in itself. Back to my first encounter, my second encounter with Storm Thorgerson, my first encounter with Storm Thorgerson. So obviously I was lucky enough to hear him talk in person in 2007. So at that point... I'd been working in a design studio since um, leaving art, art school and I wasn't one of those graphic designers that was, you know, his main aim in life was to design for music. Um, I didn't really have any interest in music, particularly at that point. Um, I worked in an agency that specialised in branding for um, charities and cultural institutions, so not on the music side at all. Um, even at the time, I didn't even like Radiohead, although I was forced into liking it over about five years and I love them now mm-hmm. um so in the noughties paper merchants threw really good parties paper merchants paper merchants and printers as well they threw pa- hang, hang on people who I, I've suddenly just got a vision of you know like the little crappy stationery shops that just sell like packets of a4 paper and the people that have the, that create those packets of paper they throw good parties not not that really that sort of paper so <laughs> when you work in design and particularly um in the early noughties it was more um a lot more print based than it is now so yeah. um, when you designed books and brochures you had to choose the type of paper it was printed on and there's lots of paper types out there which i won't bore you with but have you heard of coated or uncoated paper yes of course yes so under those two categories, there's lots and lots of papers and lots of different paper suppliers. Your job's so cool. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Your job is cool. But, um, yeah. So these different paper suppliers and paper merchants would throw parties, I guess, 
to lure us into choosing their paper. Um, and we, I, I nicknamed them paper parties because that's what they didn't ever, they didn't say come to our paper party. It was that come to a launch there. of something. But yeah, the good thing what... made of paper. No, <laughs> not. <laughs> they generally had uh, free booze, which was why most young designers went to them. Yeah. Um, and the really good ones also had free canapes. <gasps> but this particular one, um, run by Howard Smith Paper, um, a series of lectures were um, run um, at BAFTA and they had big names in the design industry talking, one of them being Storm Thorgerson. Um, and I think I'd already been to one of these lectures, so you know I, I knew it was a good, a high-caliber paper party, mm. um, but I didn't really know much about Storm Thorgerson. Um, the series, um, this whole lecture series was de- devised by the founder of Browns, which is a, um, a highly thought-of graphic design studio, um, and the founder of Browns is Jonathan Ellery. Um, and each of these lectures were also accompanied by a book, the book I keep waving about, <laughs> um, which was also designed by Browns and Jonathan Ellery. Um, and it, of course, all the, the books showcased Howard mm-hmm. Smith paper, um, but also they worked as a sort of um, notebook for designers mm-hmm. to take away. And they were also kind of a catalogue of each of the lectures. And these were given out free to the attendees of the lectures in addition to the free drinks. Mm. So, you know, that was a kind of a bonus gift. It was like getting a party bag at the end of a party. much better, you know, when I used to go to, um, like, I mean, marketing conferences. Mm. I mean, my God, you know, (sighs) well, yeah, um, (laughs) you'd get like a notebook, Mm -hmm. a pen, and one of those kind of bloody stress ball things. And it was just the most dull and boring stuff. And then and then when I worked in the gambling industry, everything was so much cooler. The goodie bags they gave out. Oh, was yes. Really expensive hoodies, rucksacks with like great headphones and poker chipsets and stuff. Brilliant. Yeah. Anyway, back to my paper yeah. party. <laughs> And the amazing book I got for free at the Storm Thorgerson lecture, which actually, looking on the back, it actually says it's £15. So they're giving away books that cost £15 to everyone there. Um, so as I say, when I arrived at this particular um, lecture of Storm, Storm Thorgerson, I didn't really have any um, particular expectations. Um, and it actually turned into one of the most surreal evenings um, I've ever experienced. Um, it wasn't a conventional design lecture by any means, firstly. I didn't go to sleep, which I'm known for in lectures and even in cinema. You know, early fell asleep during yeah. Tenant. Tenant. Tenant, even. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Thorgerson put on a show. So I'll go back to him being a performance artist. Is he dressed as a WWF wrestler? <laughs> no, he wasn't. <laughs> oh, please, Julia, I just wanted that to happen. <laughs> Um, but there, there was a topless model on the stage um, with her back to us and there was a, um, a makeup artist painting eyes all over the model's back. So that was going on all through um, the lecture when he was talking about his work. And then at one point in the lecture, Thorgerson handed out cabbages to everyone of us in the audience um, and that, that he wanted us to hold them over our face and then he took a photo of the audience with all of us holding cabbages. So I don't think I ever saw that photo and I really wanted to get hold of it. So 
I've actually been in touch with Peter Curzon. You remember he is the guy that he formed Storm Studios with. Okay. So the graphic designer Peter Curzon, who's still running Storm Studios today. Um, and he said he'll, he's going to try and dig out the photo for me. Um, so uh, when, when that happens... We'll tag him in this and we'll just keep we'll just keep tweeting at him. Where's the photo? Peter, where's the photo? We still haven't got the photo. Can you get us the photo, Peter? I, I haven't actually chased yeah. him, so then, I need to then, do and that. Then, and then we'll start a petition. Petition Peter <laughs> Curzon for the photo of cabbages. Um, no, but I would lo- really love to see it again. So it's very kind of him to say he would dig that it out. That sounds really me. cool. That sounds um, really cool. And incidentally, um, Curzon also said that Thorgerson did similar lectures around the world. Mm-hmm. But in different countries, he got the audience to hold up um, different uh, fruit or vegetables in front of their heads. So in New Zealand, the photo was set up with kiwi fruits. So that's got me to wonder what cabbages have to do with us Brits. Well, maybe it's to do with traditional vegetables or fruits of that country. So Britain... Things like cabbages and stuff like that. You, um, I can't even bother to finish this sentence. Is, ca- so is cabbages are uh, national vegetable? <laughs> national. I didn't, didn't realise. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe, maybe it is. I don't know. I don't. I don't actually know. I'm making that up. Yeah. Anyway, I found it really enjoyable looking back over um, the lecture book in this last week. Um, the book actually contains an introduction um, to the lecture um, by the notable graphic designer and writer Adrian Shaughnessy. And then it continues um, as a rather witty commentary um, by Thorgerson himself um, about the work he showcases in the book. And I'm not, not going to go on and on about the book, but there's just a couple of bits I was going to That's read right. um, where he talks about um, different, different album art. So the first one, which I guess gives you an insight into Thorgerson and his album covers. I really liked what he wrote about um, the Pink Floyd cover he did for Atom Heart Mother, which was from 1970, um, which is basically um, a picture of a cow standing in a field. Um, Atom Heart Mother was only a cow in a field near Potter's Bar, but described by some as surreal. Perhaps it was contextually surreal on a Floyd cover, but not as an image, not of itself. Uh, These musings are not intended as very important or dialectical, more as a route to describe what we do. Never too sure whether we are graphic designers, photographers, art directors, or merely untutored ponces striving to make images that represent music whilst avoiding a real job. And then he goes on to talk about how much he likes using beds in album art. And there's been several different album covers he's used beds on. Um, So he says... um, Beds are another favourite of mine, places to rest, to have sex and to dream. Beds are vehicles for reverie, a good place to engender ideas, less rational than daytime but conscious enough to take note. Beds are contradictory, the body is inert but the mind can be at full speed. I like beds so much I put 700 wrought iron Victorian ones on a beach in Devon, twice in fact because of the rain. For a moment, for a, a momentary lapse of reason, that's the name of the album, and they were fucking heavy. I put a sheep in one for Humphreys McGee, bombarded another with two hundred red jimbles for the cranberries, and made a miniature replica one for Silent Buddhas. Anyway, that concludes uh, my encounters with Storm Thorgerson. Good job, good job. No, seriously, it's great because I didn't really know much much about him. Obviously, I know of cover artwork mm. that he's he's done and probably 
know a bit more about that just through you having that book and, mm-hmm. and mentioning him. Um, but we definitely need to look at those music videos. So yeah. while we hunt those down, should we listen to some new music? Yes. I'm going to play you. Um, I've just decided I'm going first, oh. by the way. Um, but my yeah. new music relates to graphic design. Does it? Yes. Oh, go on then. You play You play yours then. See, it's graphic design related. Well, you know, I thought, you know, you choose new music and I thought I wanted my new music choice to relate to graphic design because that made it nice and logical and tied it together nicely. So um, I'm going to play some music by Lou Kime. Um, and I know Lou Kime through the design industry and I actually know her as um, a brand strategist. She's actually strategy director um, at Studio Texture. Um, which is a a very good design studio in London. Um, But I only found out recently that she's actually also a singer-songwriter. So she's actually, Lou Kime is an Americana singer-songwriter who's based in London. Okay. And um, she grew up um, actually playing music in her family band. So she was immersed in music all through her childhood. And the band travelled around um, and they, they toured extensively in Europe and even in the US. Mm-hmm. And this was all in the 90s. Like the Jackson 5? Um, po- possibly, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but fast forward 20 years. Yeah. At this point, she's had um, a career in the creative industry, as I've just mentioned. Yeah. Um, and she decided to um, rekindle her um, music career as well. Is that the right word, rekindle? Oh, you can rekindle a love yes, for something, yes, can't yes. you? So, um, so um, she spent um, two years um, writing songs, and last summer she recorded her debut album, um, which is called "What's the Worst That Can Happen." Um, so the album focuses on stories of love and loss, of dark and light, big adventures, and looming catastrophes. So, I'd like to play the first single released from the album. Uh, once you back with me, you have to watch Lou Kimes, uh music videos as well because they are awesome. They are by um, Leeds-based um, design agency B&W Studio and they are a designer's dream to watch. Graphics and type flying everywhere. They're fantastic. Okay, so what's the name of the song that we're listening to? We're listening to Once You Back With Me. As I was walking down an English street My heart was heavy but it's geared to be I thought about the times we're having fun My future rolls in with the things to come Cause I want, 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 want you back with me
so that was Lukime and her first single from her daily album, Want You Back With Me. I really like that. It was quite fun. It is, isn't it? It's really, really fun yeah. and upbeat and it's it's something cheery that we've just been listening to some really downbeat stuff recently and it's just quite nice and refreshing to to have something a bit more fun and carefree and uh, yeah, really, really cool. Check I'll have to listen out, yeah, to the rest check, of... Check out the whole album. Yeah, no, I saw... Because you showed me the video for that. Really, yeah, yeah. A couple of them, yeah. Yeah, really, really cool. So I'll definitely put some links in yeah, the show notes so people can, can check more of her stuff out. So during that song, we had a little Google of, uh, yes, Google, you can pay me some fees <laughs> for, you know, dropping your brand name in there because obviously you need us to advertise you, a little known brand called Google. Um, yeah, so what... So what was the name of the film company again? Um, uh, Greenback Films. Greenback Films, yeah, that's that's right. So what have we got here? So do, 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 do. Oh, The Power of Love, 10cc. Can yeah. you sing it? No. I'm not going to just burst into <laughs> songs. I was just looking at the list going, what have I heard of here? And then um, Owner of a Lonely Heart by Yes. Uh, I don't know some of these other ones. Anyway, there's, you know what, we don't need to read well, off the... Um, 80s music videos, yeah. aren't they, basically? Yeah. Which which is a, is a reason in itself to go and check these films out because, um, these videos, sorry, 80s music videos are very special. <laughs> they will always have a special place in my heart for just how amazingly odd some of them are. Learning to so. Fly... Pink Floyd, of course, yeah. 1987. There's also some great yeah. music videos from the 80s as well, so not trying to do a disservice here, but there are also some very funny ones. Um, okay. So shall I tell you about Ziggy Stardust? And please, look, I mean, I know I've got three pages here, yeah. but I think it's very hard to talk about David Bowie without having a lot of stuff here. So I'm not obviously covering David Bowie's whole story. No. But there is a little bit of the backstory thing that I like to do. And, and like you, Julia, I've decided to read something from a book too. Um, How literary of us today. Here we are. Here we are. I, you know, I, actually, all of my notes, I'm just going to Google David Bowie and read from Wikipedia. Um, no. Uh, so I'm going to read... Is, is it... Oh, God. How would you... How do, I've done that. I'm going to say preface, but I wouldn't Pref say preface as yeah, well. Yeah, preface or preface? Oh, preface. Preface. You could ask Google to tell yeah. you, or Siri. Or si oh, not no, Siri, we've no. fallen out. Oh. Keeps interrupting me in random moments of the podcast when I say, where was my phone? Yeah, I just I said cat five and Siri was like, I didn't quite get that. I was, like, <laughs> I was talking to you. Um, so, yeah, so I will be doing an episode with um, Siri mm -hmm. at some point because like Julia, Siri likes to kind of chime in with um, with stuff. <laughs> I don't know if I want to be compared to Siri, although I guess Siri is a bit more knowledgeable than me. So <laughs> No, lacks personality. You're full of it. Julia. Oh, thank you. you so go. kind. Oh, yeah, charmer. Charmer. Um, so yes, yeah, so I'm going to talk about um, David Bowie's Ziggy Stardust, and I wanted to read the the preface, whatever it's called, the introduction, the introduction from a book which is Ziggyology, which is a brief history of Ziggy Stardust by Simon Goddard. And I just thought it was 
a really nice way to kick kick this this segment of the show off. So here we go. Um, this is a book about Ziggy Stardust, the alien pop star inhabited the mind, voice and trousers of David Bowie from roughly late 1979. No, 1971. <laughs> you always say 1979. Know, what is wrong with well, me? You're just fixed on your birth year, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Until his death on stage at Hammersmith Odeon on 3rd of July 1973. And you know what? I don't think this was the bit of the book that I was actually going to read because... That's just a blatant statement about Ziggy Stardust. I'm sure that I've marked loads of stuff in this book. I'm going to give up on reading it. Okay. Um, it's a good book, though, and you bought me that. Did actually. I? Yeah. But it does, it starts off with, um, I mean, you don't actually get David Bowie and Ziggy Stardust until actually halfway through the book, which was a bit of a surprise to me. It was all about um, ancient religions and things. It was all, um, <laughs> I was like, oh, um, is this about... It's called David Bowie's bit. It is about David Bowie. It is actually really interesting, so do do check it out. But anyway, so David Bowie um, was born in Brixton in South London, and he developed an interest in music at an early age as, as a child, and eventually he studied art and music and Where? design. Where? Before embarking on a professional career as a musician. Sorry. In 1963. And to answer that, where apparently... He went to Croydon School of Art. Ooh. Well, what I've heard was walked he in and walked out, in yeah. and then went no, and then left. But but Croydon School of Art, Croydon College will still say that he went he went there, even if it was because he just got lost. We will went. claim it. We'll claim it. Um, but uh, Ray Davis from the Kinks went there, mm-hmm. so you know Bridget Riley taught there. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. just, it's a good. There, there's a there's a whole article about this on the Croydonist yes. <laughs> about who went there, and uh, <clears throat> we may have written that article. Yes, uh, we may actually own the Croydonist, so uh, we'll post a link to that as well. <laughs> and it's got a Patreon page if you want to donate to the Croydon. I'm joking, it hasn't. Um, anyway, so I'm not sure if it counts whether he went to Croydon School of Art or not, but he definitely came to Croydon at some point. So his his presence is felt. Still to this day. Anyway, um, Space Odyssey became his first top five entry in the UK singles chart after its release in July 1969. Um, And after a period of experimentation, he re-emerged in 1972 during the glam rock era with his kind of flamboyant, androgynous alter ego known as Ziggy Stardust. Mm -hmm. Um, and the character was spearheaded by the success of the single Starman and the album, of course, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. Um, and this won him huge popularity and was a real turning point in his career. But let's go back just slightly before that. Um, Bowie is known as a bit of a musical chameleon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that wasn't the first time that he'd reinvented himself. He was ever changing his appearance and, and sound from the very beginning of his career to, to the very end of his career. Um, but his love of music, as I mentioned, started when he was a kid and his half-brother Terry was a big influence on him. Um, Terry was nine years older than David and obviously he wasn't called David Bowie at that point, he was called David Jones. Um, you know, he, he used to play rock records and introduced him to beat literature. Um, but Terry suffered from mental illness and his family had him committed to an institution. Mm. Um, which, which you know, had 
profound effect on on David Bowie, mm-hmm. um, David Jones at the time, because um, in a way Terry was his hero and he was taken away from him. And Terry committed suicide in 1985. Mm-hmm. And this haunted... Um, David Bowie through his whole life and is the focal point of the song um, Jump, they say. I don't know if you know, know that song. I'll have to probably, play it. Probably. So on to the music. He formed the David Jones Band in the lower third and even though there were sort of like a string of singles, I suppose, nothing really gave him commercial success. And he also changed his name um, to David Bowie as he feared that people would confuse him with Davy Jones of the Monkees. So um, obviously that didn't happen straight away. He had the band first and then decided to change his his name um, to David Bowie. But why Bowie? Um, it was inspired by Jim... Is his name Jim Bowie? And don't ask me what Jim Bowie did. I have no idea. Oh, God, I okay, should have researched I'm quick, this. I'm quickly Googling it now. So Bowie's name change was inspired by his love for US culture. And ultimately, the 1960 movie, The Alamo. Author John Lyons wrote in his book, America in the British Imagination, 1945 to the present. In 1965, David Jones adopted the name David Bowie in homage to Jim Bowie. The film's Texan Rebel, played by Richard Widmark. So the first bit you read had nothing to do with it? No, I think it did. So Um, it was um, a character in a film. In the what? 1960 movie, The Alam- uh, Alamo. Oh. Alamo? Alamo. Alamo, sorry. Alamo. Yes. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, so I'm, that's, sure, that's... I'm sure someone is going to write in and... Um, um, write us a letter, not an that. email. <laughs> we'll give out our address at the end of the show. <laughs> we'll give out Kerry's. <laughs> She'll love that. Um, right, okay. So, yes, yeah, so we changed his name. To David Bowie, mm-hmm. and after the Davy Band, um, he tried so that kind of split after you know not really having much success. He tried his hand at his first solo album, but that was also unsuccessful mm-hmm. for him. And so he took a bit of a break from music. And then, did you know he went off to Scotland and lived in a Buddhist monastery? Oh, I didn't know for that. a bit. No, and he started his own mime troupe called Feathers. Wow. Yeah, it was a mime artist. Is there any footage of this? There's there's some photos and things. I don't, I don't know. I don't think I've seen footage of him doing doing that. But um, yeah, I'm more into music rather than his uh, mime career. But it was around this time that he sort of met and married um, Angela Barnett in 1970, and they they stayed together. I think they divorced in like 1981 or something. Mm-hmm. But that's no bearing on this. Really, Were you named after her? Yes. <laughs> Yes, that's, yeah, that's what I'm called, Angela. Cool. Just, you know, Angela Bowie. Barnett Martin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, so Bowie returned to music in 1969 and signed to Mercury Records, and that was the summer that he released Space Oddity, which was a key turning point in his career. As his celebrity profile increased, so did his desire to keep his fans guessing as to what he was going to do next. Because remember what I said, as in, he was forever changing and reinventing himself. Chameleon. But this, yeah, exactly. You did listen. So this is the birth of Ziggy Stardust. But, you know, a bit about the name um, Ziggy Stardust. Do you know where that comes from? No, I don't. Well, Well, did you know the word Stardust 
is less than 200 years old. No, I didn't. No mention of it in the Bible or literature, like not even Shakespeare before then. So it was in 1844 that it first appeared in the English Dictionary. Is that when unicorns came that's, to the UK? That's, that's when um, unicorns, yeah, were first discovered as well. Um, as for Ziggy, mm-hmm. well, the, the Babylons... Babylonians, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call them, believed in the power of stars and the creatures within them constructed, constructing humongous layered temples flanked by kind of stairways climbing straight to heaven. Mm. Um, at the summit of these temples lay a shrine to the god of their city. It was a place that their god could kind of um, descend, basically pop to and from heaven. So it was like a kind of helipad. <laughs> So, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just... Or a heaven a pad. Heaven a pad, yeah. Basically, it was, a, it was a welcome map for what they believed was the star man. Mm-hmm. See where I'm going with these? Yes. These temples had a special name, meaning the highest place. They were called ziggurats. Mm. Yeah. So he obviously thought a lot about making this name that he chose. It's clever, isn't mm. it? But no, that's not how he came up oh, with the name. Okay. No. But I wanted to kind of... D- just to explain, Simon Goddard's book talks all about this in there, and that is nothing to do with why Ziggy Stardust is called Ziggy Stardust. So um, he went off on a tangent. At the he, he did he? no, but the, he did. I said no, but yes, yes, absolutely. But the point is, you hear that, and then you hear the name Ziggy Stardust, mm-hmm. and it has you know the the Star Man and all of this has such a connection mm-hmm. to to that that it's almost like I wish he had sat down and, and picked that name because of this, but he didn't. But anyway, so where did the name Ziggy Stardust yes. actually come from? Where, oh, where? Um, well, Ziggy came from the name of a London tailor shop oh. called Ziggy's. That, that basically David Bowie saw it from a train and thought it was a cool name. Um, and so, yeah, in an interview, he said it was his private joke that because Ziggy Stardust was going to be largely about clothes and fashion, <laughs> that he thought calling himself Ziggy just made made sense. So he was going to create this this character, and costumes and performance was a huge huge part of it. Do you think um, the tailors was named after this heavenly place? I think it's all connected, yeah. Julia. Everything's connected. Anyway, Bowie's fascination with space travel and science fiction had already surfaced in songs like Space Oddity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of confusion comes from, with Space Oddity, people think that Ziggy Star... Well, anyone who's a David Bowie fan knows that's not when Ziggy Stardust started. It was after that. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, people think that, that that was... I suppose that was his, his inspiration for it, mm-hmm. started then. But he certainly wasn't Ziggy Stardust at that at that point sorry there's background noise here and i'm going to do a special podcast with my dog lily um in a few weeks time because she keeps making interrupting noises i think she wants to go to the toilet i'm going to press pause on this and let her out in the garden back in a moment listeners you actually i don't even know why i'm saying that because i'm not going to leave the space i'm just going to edit it out right right. and we're back in the room Gosh, it's almost like we didn't go away. Seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea where I am. But anyway, so he's called Ziggy and he's released Space Oddity. 
Um, and last oddity one, or oddity? Oddity. Oh, it is oddity. Okay. Yeah. How's that spelt? O-D-D-I-T-Y. Oh, as in being odd. Oddity. Yeah, oddity. Yeah. And life on Mars. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was being drawn towards something grander, I suppose, in scope. So, that, as I said, this was just the start of him yeah. thinking of where he could go with this. And it wasn't until, you know, until later that... He, in my notes, I actually put here, we watched the Apollo 8 mission. I wasn't even born then, <laughs> so that's... That didn't happen. Are we still pre-1979? Yeah. <laughs> when I was born, the moon landed. Oh, a child was born. <laughs> um, I meant to put, he watched um, the Apollo 8 mission to moon to the moon and back, right, basically. And pretty much the whole planet would have tuned in and, and watched this. Including the royal family. Include yes, I'm mm. sure. I'm sure that they they did watch it. I was just thinking of the episode of The Crown where they watched the moon landing. You see, I'm still I'm still torn as to where I liked the last season of The Crown. That was in the last it, season, wasn't it? Was it? I think so. Was it? Yeah, I think so. I like Margaret. Yes, in that mm-hmm. because the first season I was like, I don't know why we're watching this, Julia. Nothing happens. It's so. Boring. I know, but we've moved on to Helena Bonham Carter as Margaret now. Yeah, no, she's much, yeah. much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, but the first market was beautiful. Well, what? <laughs> Careful, Julia. <laughs> Actually, you need to listen to the St. Vincent podcast. <gasps> anyway. Um... I, I had listened to a bit of that. It was um... <laughs> crush, crush. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I thought for a second there you were saying you were crushed. No. <laughs> I can see you were very hot and bothered all through that podcast. I actually listened to that one. Right. Anyway, back in the room. So they watched the thing about the moon landing. Yes. Um, as I said, uh, pretty much everyone did. And this was his inspiration for creating his own astronaut that he called Major Tom, who heads off on a solo mission to Mars, but he loses contact with ground control and is stranded in space. I would sing at this point if I could actually sing. Ground control to major time. Right, anyway. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a song about isolation and solitude. Um, yeah, and he named it Space Oddity. But yeah, so a year after its release, Bowie mm-hmm. remained a bit of a one-hit wonder with, with that. Mm-hmm. You know, it was almost like this was his moment and then it kind of just, you know, plateaued. And it was time for a change. Um, and when I say that, it's not that he just like slipped off the radar, but he hadn't reached the level of stardom that this next phase mm-hmm. would, would, would bring him, basically. It was time for him to flesh out his concept of Ziggy, a uh, kind of omni, om, omnisexual alien, I suppose, mm. rock star sent to Earth with a message. Very much like our star man and his helipad. So like Angel Gabriel in the Bible. Exactly like that, yes. So Bowie's plot on this character was loosely that humanity was in its final five years of existence. Is the, the song five years from this period of time then? Yes. Ah. Bowie's plot loosely was that humanity was in its final five years of existence and Ziggy was dispatched to deliver a message of hope. He's a wild hedonistic figure, basically, Um and I've put here, so I've written an article, well hung and snow white. It says, and snow white tan. Huh? 
he was obviously very pale, mm. so not a tan at all. It's an oxymoron, isn't it, mm, really? It is, it is. But at its core, um, the whole message was about peace and love, but he was like this sort of ultimate rock star, mm-hmm. I suppose, that you'd see. And in the end, he destroys himself, and he's destroyed by his own excesses by his fans. It's a bit like Jesus' story, yeah. really. Wow. Yeah. So, and this brought together a lot of loves of his. So his love of acting mm-hmm. led to him creating this this character and persona. But with that, he became completely immersed in who Ziggy Stardust was. Um, and after acting the same role for an extended period, it became impossible for him to separate Ziggy Stardust hmm. from his from from David Bowie, yeah. really, from who he was. They became one and the same. Um, and Bowie said that Ziggy wouldn't leave him alone. That wouldn't leave me alone for years. He says mm-hmm. that was when it all started to go sour. My whole personality was affected. It became very dangerous. I really did have doubts about my own sanity. Um, and I suppose, I suppose, you know. You, you would, if you create that persona and your life is in the public, how do you ever really detach from from that? So it would drive you a little bit, yeah. a little bit insane. And I suppose it's also important to, to note that, that the look was quite controversial at the time as well. Any people either sort of loved the, the concept of it or they absolutely were offended and, and hated it. There's there's a number of TV interviews where the interviews is clearly quite uncomfortable by this creature sat in front of them and seemed to be most put off by the fact he's wearing a single earring. There's a number of interviews actually that mention this one one earring. And it just it's ridiculous to, to think, obviously today, that wearing a single earring would would cause such offence but there's loads of questions in do you believe in god you know what your religious beliefs and uh, like really sort of picking to almost you know almost wanting him to say yes you're a devil worshipper and uh, i don't know that you're going to corrupt all the the nation's children or or something like that but uh, i will post links to those interviews there's one that's a number of sound bites of like offensive questions I, th- I think it's offensive questions yeah to uh, to David Bowie and his responses to them over the years but there's there's also some some other interviews that really kind of put it into uh, the reality of how difficult that must have actually been that you know he's got to justify being this um this this character and being picked on by interviewers really but I suppose that's that's part of it as well isn't it to to kind of shock and uh cause cause a stir but that in itself is to is is gonna gonna put strain on on anyone so so yes so the the album as you mentioned five years yes is from that from mm-hmm. that album that's it's a kind of doomsday rock um song i suppose um set to a sort of steady sort of dying heartbeat tempo going on there some of the scenes of pandemonium that david had borrowed from the poet um roger mcgoff Mm-hmm. Um, then there's there's the song Soul Love, a sonnet from a distant star. Uh, there is Moonage Daydream. I quite like that. Uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of like a, um, a total space invasion of the senses was what it was supposed to be. And Round and Round, which is a sort of classic rock and roll number mm-hmm. by Ziggy. 
uh, It Ain't Easy, there's Lady Stardust on there, which is a kind of elegant love letter, mm -hmm. I suppose you could say. There's the song Star, Hang On To Yourself, Ziggy Stardust, of course, which is the kind of ballad of the star man. And Suffragette Zitty, City, even, Zitty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, which um, David Bowie... Because a guitarist as well, he played like the the riff on that. Mm -hmm. And did you know he actually can play fourteen instruments? I did know that. Yes. Did you? Mm. I'll get onto that in a minute. And then there's obviously rock and roll suicide, which is obviously about Ziggy's doom. Um, yes, yeah, so it's a fantastic album, but it wasn't just about the the music and creating this kind of alien being. Along with that, um, enters Bowie's kind of, I suppose love affair with fashion and costumes mm -hmm. from this time. As for his costumes, inspiration was heavily Japanese and were created by designer, and I apologise if I say this wrong, um, Kanzai Yamamoto, mm -hmm. um, who died in, um, I don't know what year. 1979. Some, I'd, <laughs> 1979. <laughs> for some reason, I didn't write down the year, but I thought it was important to say he was 76. <laughs> Um, yeah, he was a fashion designer who shot to fame when he supplied David Bowie with the costumes that defined the singer Ziggy Stardust and Aladdin Sane, who who was um, the persona that David Bowie created after Ziggy Stardust. But I'll talk about that in... In another podcast. In another podcast. <laughs> the end, no, in a moment. And I'm nearly finished, I promise. Um, his audacious designs were a kind of like riot of clashing colours and motifs and drawing on the visual themes of his native Japan. And among the designers, he, influ he influenced um, Jean-Paul Gaultier and mm -hmm. Alexandra McQueen. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and since since the Ziggy Stardust kind of costume designs and even, as I say, the personas later, um, Bowie-esque styles continued then and today mm -hmm. to pop up on the catwalk yeah. all the time it's been very very influential and not just in the fashion industry but also to artists so the likes of lady gaga um found that david bowie's complete inspiration the costumes the shows the, the way he presented himself so that was an influence on her same as marilyn manson and and bands even like arcade fire and and he was he was actually someone who championed arcade fire actually i didn't realize this um until doing this research that we, when their first album came out he heard the heard of them yeah and um he performed with them actually oh, wow. and uh yeah he even features on a later album reflector singing really? backing vocals yeah i didn't know that how did i not know that i'm not a david bowie fan i didn't know that but anyway um so talking about his influence on on music and fashion it was also within arts and he's very much seen as a uh, kind of, I don't know, what would you say when someone's like a kind of multidisciplinary? Multi yeah, that's it. So, music, fashion, and art in in general. So, jack of all trades. Jack of, <laughs> jack of all trades, master in that. No, I'm joking. Of course, fucking brilliant. But um, I was yeah, going to ask if you went to the VNA exhibition. I did go to the VNA exhibition. Um, the V&A, the Victorian Albert Museum in London, staged an exp ex expedition. I was about to say, ex an expedition to find Ziggy Stardust. No, an the stars. Yeah, to the stars. I went to the helipad. Um, now, an exhibition called David Bowie is in 2013 to celebrate his extraordinary achievements. It contained costumes and photography and 
and sort of documented the diverse set of characters of of David Bowie um, over the decades. So there's obviously the 60s rock and roller, Ziggy Stardust, the Thin White Duke and Aladdin Sane. Probably one of the most iconic covers, actually, is you'll know who Aladdin Sane is from the the cover. Mm-hmm. It's the one where he's got the lightning bolt yeah. across his face. So which is it, I, which I always think is Ziggy Stardust. No, it's not. It lightly kind of goes with the, the, yeah. the weather themes. Yeah, it's the one with the lightning bolt, and he's kind of he's he's got his eyes closed and he's topless but glowing mm. white, and it's beautiful. Um, and and I think that's probably one of the most famous images. Yeah, definitely. Um, of him, yeah. of David Bowie, but yes, that's not Ziggy Stardust. No. So you know people get confused over that, but yes, yeah, so I went to that exhibition. I've got the book here. It's just got so much beautiful imagery. I mean, you know, the costumes, his styling that he he you know really mastered from quite an early mm. point in his career, and just got more eccentric and yeah. exaggerated it even more throughout his his career, and then obviously. That that kind of toned down a bit in the in the later years, but uh, yeah, I just I just think that he is probably one of the most influential artists ever yeah. um, in the Western world. Um, obviously, there are lots of artists, but I, I think that the way that he touched so many different areas of the world of art, from music to performance to fashion to just art in general makes him probably one of the most powerfully iconic um, artists of, of all time. Yeah, I, mean, um, I wouldn't disagree with you there. No, no, I think I think it's absolutely wonderful. So, so that exhibition was before he passed away as well, wasn't it? Yes, it was, yeah. yeah. And I actually had notes here saying, yeah, remember when we went to that exhibition? We didn't go to that exhibition together, did we? No, I, I didn't go. I missed it. But we must have been together when you went. Only just. Yeah. Who did I? <gasps> I went with my ex-girlfriend. Let's gloss over that let's bit then. Just, let's go over that, right. Okay, not let's go over that. And Right, so what <laughs> happened with my... No, when we were going through the um, let's try to be friends as lesbians and, do. As they all do, and they never learn that it just ends in fights. Fist fights, not fist fights, just, yeah. Moving in on. In v and exhibitions. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Trashed and yeah. one of the costumes and, uh, yeah. Uh, that's not true. Um, so, but some facts about David yes. Bowie. Right, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1996 by by Madonna. Oh, yeah, she's also someone who said that she was greatly influenced by David Bowie. Yeah, there you go. That's a fact about Madonna today on the radio, but I forget what it is now. Well, that was worth mentioning. <laughs> you probably should edit that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> Staying in. <laughs> Um, did you know he declined the royal honour of Commander of the British Empire, CBE, in the year 2000 um, and also turned down a knighthood in 2003? Oh, why? Some people would say against it, but it doesn't really mean anything, does it? Not a monarchist. No, no, no it doesn't appear to be, no. Um and as I said before, he played 14 different instruments. And he oh, first... yes, what were they? Should we guess? Should I guess them? Well, I haven't got them all listed here, oh. so that would be... A... I'd just make them up. Yeah. Really. Well, they'd probably be the obvious ones, wouldn't they? Guitar. guitar. Yeah, guitar. Piano? So the first instrument he learned to play, though, what do you think it was? Violin. No. Get Trumpet. Guess. Close. Trombone. No. Saxophone. There you go. Mm. There you go. And he was 12 
and he performed on set. Oh, I wish it had been recorded. Oh my god, I've written this, you know. And I he was twelve it. when he performed on his albums. No, he wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't twelve when because because that's that's he didn't travel or maybe he did travel in time. Maybe. I don't know. Um, well, I do know he didn't travel in time. <laughs> I think we can say that that's that's probably a fact. But you were telling me the other day that people couldn't like travel in time. No, I didn't. We were watching that film where people reverse... Oh, actually, no, no, spoiler alert. That. No, not that. You were telling me about people disappearing and reappearing. It's not the Umbrella Academy no, either. No, I, talk- I was talking about... I listened to a podcast that was about telekinesis yes. and, um, and telepathy. Mm-hmm. It was not about time travel. <laughs> Right. I was obviously only half listening. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. I just talked so much crap. Mm, yes, yes, dear. Yes, dear. Anyway, he was not 12 when he performed on his album, but he did actually perform the saxophone parts on, on several of his own mm-hmm. songs later. Yes, so he recorded when he was 12, kept and put on his album. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, when you have a tape machine yeah. and you record yourself singing badly. Yeah, he used it. No, he didn't. Um, but he was obviously a very talented rhythm guitarist as well, and he played the famous riff, as I said, on Rebel Rebel. Mm-hmm. I don't think I did say that earlier, but he did play <laughs> that. Um, but he found himself to sort of be lacking the ability as a lead guitarist, and he was more of a, a front man and better performer without a guitar. And okay. so even though he could write and play guitar, he didn't really do that on, on stage. Um, did you know that early in his career, he was snubbed by the Beatles record label, Apple Records. Ooh. So he wanted a record and they wouldn't give it to him. But maybe this was at the time where it was um, the not-so-good singles. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, and his song Ashes to Ashes documents his struggles with um, drugs. Struggles with drugs. Yeah. Uh, what? Oh, the TV oh, the show. TV show. I was about to say, what drugs? I was like, Really? She seems like the most clean cut. Like, I don't know that she's like... No, the, t- squat the, t- the TV series. Making, we could just make up this whole, like, alternative... You might get sued for libel. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. And did you know that Paul Weller named one of his children Bowie? After no, David I didn't. Bowie? Yeah, no, I do go. now. You do now. And David Bowie was the first major artist to release a single... Purely available on digital. Ooh. So a pioneer of sorts. A bit like Pink, Pink Floyd and um, that phenomenon on the internet in the 90s. Yes. Pioneers as well. There you so go. Trying to tie it all together. <laughs> <laughs> as if we chose things that might be complementary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, no, so that was me just touching very briefly... Um, but probably talked for about two hours about <laughs> Ziggy Stardust, and um, I'm going to post because there are just I think with with him there's some fantastic interview content with Ziggy Stardust and obviously performances as well, which to talk about them just doesn't really do them justice. So I will be posting some some videos and links to articles and things of where I got the, the research from um in these show notes for this show excellent so yeah i'll start us so i suppose we could end off with some some the last of the new music there was only two pieces <laughs> the other song oh, but just before we do i was just wondering if um the spice girls um were influenced by ziggy stardust with the ziggy ziggy <laughs> <laughs> uh yes absolutely <laughs> 
absolutely and uh all of their costumes ziggy stardust themed and if you play their album backwards it's actually the song five years this is not funny at all oh my god i should just give up so you know the new music new music new music although it's not it's not actually a brand new song so my new music pick is by a band called franklis and they are based in london i think well i've certainly seen them play a couple of times in london they played with um berries last year i think where was it i think it was in a place called colors in hoxton uh, in london i saw them play absolutely incredible they they've just got like kind of heavy guitar riffs it's great kind of proper rock music indie rock um really unique there's not there's not another band that sounds like them in london at the moment well, in london god <laughs> that's that's a fucking honor isn't it to say you in london there's no one that sounds like it. outside london everyone does shit, it's yeah. ten penny that sound no <laughs> It's not. It's no. They're they're abs- they're absolutely brilliant. Um, I think they've got a great future ahead of them. They're already doing incredibly well. Fantastic reviews from all of the big publications that you can imagine. They're being played by the likes of Steve Lamack on BBC Six Music. Um, oh, so even I might have heard their you, song. Yeah, you, before. you probably yeah. Even I. The the Franklies went on to feature in an Apple Music advert. Even Ooh. so, you know, um, I think I read that somewhere. I hope that's the right band. No, it is the right band. Uh, yeah, so they've, you know, they've, they've toured UK, Europe, London. America, Isle of Wight. <laughs> no, they played they played the festival Isle of Wight and download festivals. So, you know, they've they've done loads of great great things, and I really am really am a fan of of the band. And Zoe Biggs um, is a writer for Loud Women, oh, actually. Yeah. And uh, she did a marvellous review of uh, Ready Steady Bang. So, and whose I, album is that? I wonder whose album that is. Could it be mine? <laughs> <laughs> so, the song I'm going to play by the band is called Not Guilty. And I think you, you will have heard this because I shared it on um, Kick Out the Jams, did a playlist yes. for. We're playing a show for Kick Out the Jams next year called Camden Calling. And Franklies are also on the bill with Bug Eye and quite a few other bands. And I sent you that playlist so you would have heard yeah, this no, song. Yeah, it's a great track. It's really, really mm. good, isn't it? Upbeat, choppy guitar on it, dead catchy. Really, really love it. Really love it. And I hope everyone does too. And I will put links to their website, to Bandcamp, and all of the other bits and pieces in the show notes. Do check them out. This is Franklies. I'm going to have a dance now. Have a cup of tea. Over and out.